Bonjour and welcome to another episode of Street Focus, an ongoing exploration of urban photography. I'm your host, Valérie Jardin. Today is quite a special Streets of the World segment. I'm pleased to take you to Kathmandu, Nepal, and my special guest comes all the way from the top floor. It's German photographer Chris Marquette, the host of the oldest running photography podcast, Tips from the Top Floor. Welcome, Chris. Yay, the oldest. <laughs> now now that makes me feel old. Yeah. Say, say the how, longest running. That's the longest running. <laughs> how, how, yeah, it's true. Longest running would have been more appropriate. Um, <laughs> how, how many episodes? Oh, 600 something something. Oh. Um, going going strong yes. towards 700. And this thing started like in 2005. Yeah, when, uh, I mean, hardly anyone was on the internet even. Yeah, I was not, <laughs> I was not the first photo podcast because there were... I, I think one or two before me, but they they faded like within a half a year. Yeah. So they they were gone when I or almost gone when I started. And yeah, that's my claim to fame. And that's you the survived. long the longest the the one thing in my life that I've stick that I've stuck with longest is my podcast. That's awesome. So who is Chris? There might oh. be people out there who don't know. Who's Chris? Um, I travel. I'm a photographer. I'm an instructor. Um, and uh, over the last years, I've I've come to um, think of myself a bit as a photographic mythbuster. You know, there's so much. Mm -hmm. If if you read the blogs and things, there's so much voodoo out there and yeah. so much stuff that tries to sell people something. And a lot of that is not quite. I mean, I'm I'm not talking about anyone specific, but um, the, it's it's just there's so much misinformation out there, and I'm trying to kind of rectify that a bit. Yeah. Um, I'm also always curious. I always want to learn new things. So I do digital photography, I do analog photography. I'm in the process of writing a book on analog photography, actually. Um, and I just love to teach. I just love to. I love that smile on people's face when they when they have one of those aha moments and yes. they go, "Oh, this is how it works." Isn't it the most gratifying thing in the world? Totally, is teaching? totally, yeah. absolutely. Teaching what we're so passionate about, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you traveled to various locations, and one place that's really close to your heart is Nepal, right? I've been there since 2009, uh, repeatedly being there. A friend of mine, John Miller from Colorado. He's the host of the the rest of Everest podcast. He he and I met through podcasting actually, and at one point he he suggested, "How would you like to do a workshop at Mount Everest Base Camp?" And I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> what an idea!" So, yeah, really. So uh, a bit over the a year later, I was actually there and I was doing my first trek up in the mountains with a whole bunch of photographers in in tow and it's been a love ever since nepal the, the entire area nepal tibet um now i've added the the northern part of india to it and bhutan all pretty much the same part of the world but the people there are so amazing and um, i'm it's it's not just for the landscape and for the mountains that I love to return it's now also for uh, the people because mm -hmm. I've really made friends there and it's just wonderful to go back and and um, yeah and see them and and you don't specialize really in one area of photography you love to shoot 
people, landscapes, and so forth, right? Well, I I get bored easily, let's put it this way. (laughs) But um, street photography is definitely uh, very close to me. I mean, I love landscapes. I love architecture. I love playing with the with the tilt shift lens and working with with uh, perspectives and with focal planes and things that's all very fun for me but um as soon as people are involved that's where it gets really exciting that's mm-hmm. where the, the real thing happens and that's where also the photos uh, end up being much more stronger than <laughs> than when i shoot something that is not uh, that that doesn't have the tendency to run away exactly yeah so well we all know about the recent event in, in Nepal and the earthquake that has affected uh, Kathmandu and, and surrounding areas. And you were just there just a couple of weeks ago, right? Yep. Okay. Just so, over a week. And you have some fundraising eff- efforts. So we're definitely going to talk about that um, on the show because it's important. And uh, I think what you're doing is wonderful. And I hope some of our listeners will be able to get involved. But but first of all, let's just let's just... Go to Kathmandu together, and uh, I'm a street photographer. What? Uh, where do I go? What? How big is Kathmandu? First of all, I've never been there. I really uh, know very little. Kathmandu has about two million people living there, mm-hmm. um, so it's a relatively big city. It's uh, the the infrastructure. First of all, Nepal is one of the poorest countries on this planet. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're like on the list of poorest countries somewhere between ten and twenty. Um, so it's a third world country and people in Kathmandu, Kathmandu is very big and very crowded, very loud and dirty, but all that together has such a level of beauty Mm -hmm. that keeps capturing me every time I go there, which is really amazing because, um, you will really see corners where a collapsed building well, where you see a collapsed building that is not collapsed from the earthquake, but it's just collapsed, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, or you will see some streets that are full of full of rubbish, and that's something that just is part of the life there. And the people are some of the most open people that I've ever met on this planet. I mean, it's just. It's just a general thing in Asia, but I think especially in Nepal, you you get by with a smile. You you make eye contact with someone, and they they look back at you, and you smile at them, and you get a, like a a smile back that's three times as big as yours. Is that yeah? And and what what is the language? I mean, how do you communicate? Do people speak English. They do speak English. They do? Uh, the, the the official language is Nepali, uh-huh. and um, but they have different tribes. There, the Sherpa have their own language, and the the, the Newari, the original um, people who originally um, lived there, have a bit of their own language. So, um, English with English you will get with broken English you'll get along quite well. Okay, that's good to know. Or or with I mean w- the thing we we street photographers do when we shoot somewhere where we, where we don't speak the language is just. Uh, Pointing to the camera and giving yep. them a smile. Exactly. I mean, the, the, the sign language always works. <laughs> true, very true. So people are are pretty open to being photographed, whether you're trying to get candid shots or even doing street portraits. 
Yes, both both works quite well. Mm -hmm. In Kathmandu, in some of the more touristy areas, you are uh, there's a chance that someone will actually ask you for money yeah. if they uh, recognize or re recognize you as a as a somewhat serious photographer. Um, even on some of the treks up into the mountains uh, towards Mount Everest Base Camp in the Solokumbu Valley, for example, um, I sometimes had kids uh, shout after me, photo money, photo money. Oh, yeah. Um, which, I mean, is due to the tourism and the tourism is really important for these people. So there are a lot of tourists. Um, but sometimes you get, if you get a bit out of the center, if you get to areas where tourists are not as common, if you go to some of the villages uh, um, or what we've just done, the, the India part right next to Nepal or Bhutan, um, never anyone asked for, for money. No one did. It was just like, okay, um, you're, you're a nice guy. I'll pose for you or I'll ignore you or I'll, yeah. I'll go, I'll go about what I'm doing and, uh, go ahead and take your pictures. So how do you handle it when you have 15 kids running after you asking you for money? <laughs> <laughs> and well, it's, it's actually not as bad in Kathmandu. Um, I've had some other trips, like Ethiopia, for example, where the 30 kids were running, um, which was also difficult in a way. Um, in Kathmandu, as a Western tourist, you are, you are. They 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 will they, they know tourists. They they have no problem with tourists. They um, in the tourist areas, some street vendors will will approach you and try to sell you some tiger bomb or hashish um, or other things and the kids not as much actually they will they will ask if you if you directly approach them for photos we had we had one thing happen to us in a in a part of um of the Kathmandu valley in Patan which is one of the parts that is now pretty pretty broken after the earthquake oh lots of old temples we were there as a group it was starting to pour the rain was coming and we stood under under a roof waiting for the rain to pass over and there was this kid probably around 10 years old and he asked and and and, and he and, and we we and he kind of joked and we took some photos and then at one point he's, he got this serious look on his face and he asked if we uh and, and we were completely prepared he would ask for money and he asked if we could buy him a book oh that was so sweet. sweet and and well you know what later after the rain stopped we actually found out that his father owns the bookstore oh okay <laughs> <laughs> so he was bringing in customers <laughs> oh totally absolutely so so we did not buy him a book but something else so is this just these are the kind of things you yeah. would and those are the those those encounters is what makes traveling so special. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 I can't even imagine being on a in a to um, a bus tour and you miss all this, you know, by oh. because you follow you <laughs> follow the <laughs> the pack. Uh, Walk on your own feet or get someone who's yeah. local who who will be able to take you to places on the back of their motorbike. Yeah. Now I his mean, is that something you'd, you'd recommend for anyone traveling on their own to Kathmandu is to um, to hire a local guide? Um, you can do that easily. There are there are lots of travel operators who have um, who have staff who, who you can just approach or or ask me. I have friends there who I can mm -hmm. recommend. No problem. Um, the good thing about Kathmandu is it's it's quite safe there. Okay, so I've never I've that never really. Be 
my next I was question. never really afraid if anyone would snatch my camera or or my bag. I mean, yes, you make sure you have your pockets closed and the zippers up and yeah, stuff. Common sense stuff. Yeah. Common, just common sense stuff. But um, and 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 have the camera strap wrapped around your wrist once and that kind of stuff. But um, I've never had the feeling I'd need any like lockable wire systems to protect everything okay not at all how, how about safety in general like is it safe are there neighborhoods that you should definitely avoid after dark for example <laughs> that you know of not really i've never been to any neighborhoods where i felt unsafe um okay. i've also in most of those cases have been with at least one other photographer uh -huh. so I, i take photographers there and then there is a I don't know. In one in one uh, case, there was a a stay near the airport because we had to fly out early in the morning and it got dark. And I I realized that pretty much like five minutes a uh, five minutes down the road, there's a there's a market where pe people are having their stalls out and selling things on the market. Um, night market street photography. What an opportunity! Yeah, really. So, <laughs> <laughs> what I were they selling and, though? <laughs> oh, lots of things. I mean, there there were there were stalls that had like a a battery and an electric light out there um, and they were selling meat and some were selling butter lambs um, some were selling I don't know prayer flags and also I mean in general Kathmandu is such a great place for street photography because a lot of the life happens out in the street mm -hmm. and sure. especially during the dry season which is actually they have two dry seasons March to May and October to December, January, which um, in between is the monsoon, the rainy season. Mm. And as tourists, there's no point going there, actually, unless you want to test how waterproof your camera is. <laughs> But in general, it's really, it's really a great place out in the streets because everything happens out there. Um, the little shops, shopkeepers will be sitting in front of their... Um, in front of their shops, there. I mean, there, there are some repeating themes that you will see over and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, shopkeepers, other tourists in some places, especially in Tamel. Tamel is the uh, the tourist district, so to speak. Lots of little shops there. Um, they cater to the tourists there. Some cafes and bars that are um, that are set up in a way that Westerners would feel comfortable there. Um, But even outside, you will see all those little shops. And it's probably even better to go a bit outside because then uh, people aren't as used to tourists and aren't, yeah. as, aren't as prepared to pose or prepared to do whatever they do when a tourist is there. The other thing you'll see a lot are porters. A lot of, a lot of the things are being carried on the back of people. So you will see porters with like, I don't know, of their own weight uh, mm -hmm. in something on their back, like crates of beer or um, empty water containers or bricks or other things. Yeah. A lot of that stuff gets carried on the back of people. Rickshaws, lots of rickshaws there. Mm -hmm. Pretty normal sight, actually. Not as touristy as I, as I thought it would be. Um, you'll see sadhus, the, the holy men, <laughs> which, which if you do that, if you see them in the, in the tourist district in Tamel, There's a good chance they will um, pose for a photo and then ask you for money, <laughs> and they will they will put a red dot on your forehead, which mm. is a good signal for all the other people there that 
you're a tourist <laughs> that you're spending money. Yeah. Um, in general, you will see a lot of religion, a lot of um, Buddhism and Hinduism, temples and people who are praying, people who are spending time around the temples. Um, a lot of that. And <laughs> one more thing you will see over and over are uh, Western Western brands, Western logos. Yeah. Like... Coke having 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 a, sh a storefront with a big Coca-Cola sign on it, even if they're not being paid for it, that's kind of a mark of something special, like you know? a mark of trust, maybe or something. Sort of, or mm -hmm. just because 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 may maybe they want to be a bit more Western in some respects. Yeah. So you can you can actually buy on the street. You can buy like Adidas logos and, <laughs> and Nike logos and things, embroidered logos. That Starbucks? You can no. Starbucks, everything. Up, <laughs> really? Up in, up in Lukla, which is the little mountain airport that you fly, that you get through when you go to hike in the mountains. Uh, up in Lukla, there's a Starbucks. Are you serious? Oh, it's no. Not a, it's not a Starbucks, but they have the Starbucks sign up. Okay. It looks like a Starbucks. Oh, you can't get, you can't get away from that. Wow. I they are they're mimicking the <laughs> that's funny quite a bit yeah. so do you need any special visa to get there uh no you arrive at the airport at least for me as a german and i know for the americans as well you arrive at the airport they have now actually brand new machines there so you stand in front of a machine you fill out a few things about your like your passport number and and where you're from and uh, then that machine takes a photo of you and then you go to a little booth where someone will charge you, depending on the visa, anywhere between $20 and $40. Mm -hmm. And you pay that in US dollars okay, or in euros. And uh, and then you're in. And that's like a multiple entry tourist visa anywhere between one and 30 days. So, so it's, no, it's no problem getting there. So currency, do you can you pay with credit cards anywhere or not? Uh, you can pay with credit cards in some places. Um, the currency is the rupee, mm -hmm. the Nepalese rupee. And there are ATMs everywhere. So you'll be able to um, get money from your credit card uh, with an ATM. And in Tamil, in the, in the more touristy place, there are also lots of um, money exchanges where you just walk up and Give them $20 and get rupees for that. Okay. So it's no, it's no problem. So who are the tourists who go there? I can't imagine them being busloads of senior citizens. Are they mostly active, younger, active people who are going for uh, mountaineering and such? Well, that's one part. The, 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 the trekking tourists who want to go to the mountains and who want to spend time up there. And we've done our fair share of that. Mm -hmm. Um there are the tourists who just love Kathmandu, who fall in love with the city, who mm -hmm. fall in love with the people there. Um, and that's, I, I, again, I came for the mountains and I've uh, always returned for the people now. Yeah. So it has changed a bit. I also still love the mountains, especially as it's a massive contrast. If, when you go to Kathmandu, there's this loud, loud and, and dirty city and then you go to the mountains and up on the Nepali side of Mount Everest, there are no vehicles, no roads, just people, some animals, um, porters carrying things, hikers. So it's really a, 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 an amazing contrast between these two worlds. And then when you return back to Kathmandu, 
uh, it's almost like another culture shock all of a yeah. sudden. Chaos and yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine. but in, in a good way, obviously. Like, yeah. Um, so the tourists, um, I mean, the age groups, you will find you will find some senior citizens, but those are mostly the active type. Yeah, yeah. And um, so now you've been to base camp. That's is, when um, when I was younger, I, I read every mountaineering books ever written. I this was I just love them. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's because I'm French and I spent all my summers in Chamonix and Mont Blanc. But um, I've always loved this, this world of mountaineering. And always, I was always a dream of mine to actually go to base camp. Is it's it? Not, uh, it's not as hard. As it's not think. as hard as it sounds. And is I it mean, as it, dirty as I've heard? <laughs> it is. Well, okay. So do they so clean it up once in a while? Here's the thing. We have taken photographers to all three base camps on Mount Everest. But Mount Everest ha actually has three base camps, one in the south, which is um, on the Nepali side, one in the north, which is um, on the Tibetan side, the Chinese side, and then one in the east, which is also on the on the Chinese side, but which is not really being used because it's too dangerous to climb from there. And the, the, the base camp um, on the Nepali side, well, they, they have a bit of a problem because obviously people carry stuff up there and yeah. um, especially their own waste. Mm -hmm. I mean, the waste that you, that comes out of you yeah. and that freezes and then it stays there. And uh, God forbid it <laughs> gets warm one day. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's not what a I nice heard. idea. So, so there, there are actually quite a few projects uh, going on to carry things down. Um, there is a guy called Apu Sherpa, which is a, a mountaineer who's been, I don't even know how many times he's summited Everest, but must be like at least 20 times. And he um, has this project that uh, is all about cleaning up Mount Everest. And yeah bringing things back down along the hiking paths you uh for a few years now you had um big baskets for for waste to put in so there's some collecting going on and i mean it's in general it's it's a good idea for everyone who goes there to take their trash with them yeah it's that yeah. that that should leave be no trace yeah yeah exactly leave no trace yeah so uh, we've always done it uh, based on that. We've always, <laughs> we've always educated our our staff that we had with us on those treks um, to make sure they kind of follow what we consider to be the right standards. Uh, in Tibet, it was actually even more difficult because the especially the eastern side of Mount Everest, the Kanjung face, is, I mean, it's pretty much uninhabited. It's mm -hmm. we we spent twelve days hiking and all we met were two. Uh, yak herders, two nomads who have who who are up in the mountains with the yaks. So our our yak um, train, we had thirty five yaks with us to carry all the stuff that we had, and uh, the people who the, the yak herders for our yak train, um, they just had no concept of keeping your environment clean mm -hmm. because. They, they live in this most beautiful environment, uh, environment of environments, and there is just so much space. So if you drop like a gum wrapper or something, no one's gonna ever notice, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's wow. the thinking. If you have too much space, and if you if you have all this beauty around you, take just, it for uh, granted. Yeah, take it for granted. And and um, we always make a point in kind of making sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you still do you still do those uh, those tracks? Well, we um, so so the the 
the main organizer is my friend John, John Miller. And um, when he says, I want to do one next year, I'm, I'm there. I'm there. Okay. So um, he's been pulling them together in average about every other year. Mm -hmm. So next year, possibly, or the year after next year. Okay. So now, so tell, tell us what happened a few weeks ago with the earthquake and, and what difference did you see a couple, <clears throat> when you were just there? Well, interestingly enough, um, I mean, everyone has by now heard of the earthquake and uh, there was one big aftershock and lots of small aftershocks. And what you see in the media is is a picture of complete destruction. The, that, that was my expectation when I went there. Um, interestingly enough, the earthquake happened two weeks before I was going to India and Bhutan and Kathmandu with a group. And as soon as the earthquake happened, my phone started ringing because some of the participants sure. were quite quite worried about, yeah. is, it, is it safe to go there? Uh, turned out it was actually really safe, but we still changed part of our tour because the the last leg of our tour was supposed to go to um, to a place south of Kathmandu called Chitwan National Park. There's some wildlife, some rhinos and elephants and uh, beautiful um, nature there. And we... And we We pulled out of that because when we organized this uh, two weeks ahead of time, we had no idea how the situation would be. So we switched that part to Bhutan. So that's okay. how I got to Bhutan this time. Um, that must have been quite a bit of last-minute planning then for you oh, guys. Oh, totally. It was, yeah. it was a bit of a scramble in the yeah, end, yeah. absolutely. So I ended up uh, being, um, being braced for the worst and... I had, luckily I had quite quickly, I had contact with my friends in Kathmandu. Actually, um, Facebook did a good thing. They have something called Facebook Safety Check, which allows, if you are in an area that, uh, in a disaster area, Facebook will, and you go online, Facebook will ask you, are you safe? And you can click yes. And then all the other friends outside of that area will see your status. Oh, nice. Which was just such a relief because um, we were looking for like 15 to 20 people. Mm -hmm. And over the course of like four or five days, they started checking in. Yes, I'm safe. Yes, I'm safe. And I'm happy to say everyone is safe um, from, from that list. So we're quite relieved there. But that, that was a good thing. So we, we found out Pretty, pretty quickly that um, people were safe, that after one or two days, communication started coming back and the mobile networks, which is what they depend on, kind of came back and um, got, got, got good enough to, um, to allow social media, which is kind of the way to connect at this point. Mm -hmm. And um, so I got some direct contact with some of my friends there, asked them for photos, asked them for status update. So I knew that... Um, that the situation was not good, but also not entirely bad. And this is why when I, when I then planned the return trip, I actually added another day in Kathmandu. I was originally just scheduled to be there for one day, but I made it two days or two nights and um, stayed with my friends instead of staying in a hotel. Mm -hmm. uh, stayed, stayed with my Sherpa friends. And that was one of the best decisions because they showed me around. They, they, actually uh, let, let me sit on the back of their motorbikes and took me around Kathmandu and uh, gave me kind of a first-hand account of what the situation is like. And the situation is by far not as bad as you might think when you, when you look, to the, look at the mass media, when you watch TV. Um, 
the complete dis- the, the level of destruction of complete destruction of buildings that have completely collapsed is under 5% of the buildings there are buildings that are marked as not being safe and those are Again, that's guesswork. The government, the, the Nepali government is kind of useless when it comes to... Yeah, uh, those buildings will probably s- stay like this for a long time, too. That's the <clears throat> problem. Well, they're, they're, no, not really. There okay. there are like 20, I would say a maximum of 20% of the buildings that are not safe anymore. And okay. they had a they had a pretty quick assessment, actually, um, to, to have what they call like a green and red sticker program. So the buildings with a red sticker, which was just a virtual thing, not an actual sticker. Uh, means, okay, you can't be in there and this building needs to be torn down. So what you see now in Kathmandu is the occasional completely collapsed building. Okay. You will see um, like real concrete type buildings with big cracks in them that no one gets in at this point. And you'll see the majority of buildings just being fine. Um, you, what you will hear in some areas are are pneumatic hammers tearing down buildings because mm-hmm. that's what they have to do now they have to uh piece by piece bring them down maybe reuse some of the of the materials and build them new and build them in a more modern way because the buildings that collapsed were the old buildings that are mainly uh, built of mud and bricks yeah of uh, course they were not um earthquake safe or not built really. for that yeah. but but the place my friends uh live in that's like a I'd say a six-story uh, building um, has one little crack next to a part of the basement. No, nothing to worry about. It's just fine. So the supplies are good. You get water. You get uh, food is available. It's not that they are um, they're missing anything. It's a bit more expensive to get supplies, but um, the the real problem are some of the areas that were mostly old buildings like um, Patan and Bhaktapur, which are to the two areas that are quite famous world heritage sites with old temples and um, all the tourists go there. And those are partially destroyed, but still what I've heard, I haven't seen them with my own eyes, unfortunately, but what I've heard is that they are now actually reopening for tourism. So at least in part, so they are not completely destroyed. There are parts of them that are still fine. And they are planning to rebuild a lot of them. Good. Yeah. So they need to keep the tourists coming so that they can keep getting money. And That's their biggest problem yeah. at this point. When when I was there, um, I didn't recognize parts of the... Even the tourist district was empty. Um, I would guess about 80% of the tourism broke away for wow. this season. Yeah. Um, Which is going to hurt long term. Oh, that is definitely going to hurt them. So um, the message is, hey... <laughs> Kathmandu, Nepal is fine. The hiking trails are fine. Kathmandu itself is absolutely safe. There is nothing to worry about. Um, tourists come back. Yeah, people <laughs> need you people more than need ever. You more than ever. Um, if at all, if anything at all, you will be welcomed with even more open arms, and they mm-hmm. will they will be so happy that you come and uh, and leave a bit of money there. Yes, absolutely, yes, definitely. So you've started some fundraising efforts. Are they still ongoing? Yes, they are still ongoing. Okay. We have so actually, tell us a little bit about that. Well, thanks for giving me the opportunity. Uh, two days after the earthquake, well, the, the minute of the earthquake, we started thinking, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? And uh, it, as 
uh, as opposed to just donating money, which we did, but um, that's not enough in our, uh, that didn't feel like it was enough. We also um, thought we could probably get the community involved in some way. And um, so within two days, we had a photo book put together, an ebook that um, has photography from Kathmandu in the greater area from from the start, from 2009 when we were the first through 2014. And <clears throat> we're selling this at uh, tfttf.com slash fundraiser. And it's about 90 photos. Um, again, it's an ebook, direct download. Uh, there's a pay what you want kind of scheme. So you can, you can pay uh, a low or a higher fee depending on what you feel like. And I'm happy to say we have actually raised uh, over $15,000 with this. Wow. So that's so, that's awesome. And I, I, I got my copy a few weeks ago. You know, make a donation. You get a wonderful book and you do a good deed. I mean, that's just, uh, it's win-win. And, uh, and 100% of uh, the proceeds go directly to small charities in Nepal. There are charities who help, for example, the villages outside of Kathmandu. That Some of them have been hit hard. Some of yeah. them do need the help, the supplies. Uh, they need to build shelters because they can't go back into their houses. They need a place to store, I don't know, their harvest, their potatoes and things. If they can't get them out of the ground before uh, the rain starts, which will be actually now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... Um, they'll have to leave them in the ground to rot. So there are there are especially two charities. One is the Maya Sherpa Project um, that I know a few people of those personally, and it's it's it goes directly. It's 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 not a big organization. A lot of people have said, you know, we weren't sure where to donate. So thank you for the book because we always had the feeling with the big organizations things would dry up in yeah. uh, on yeah. the way somehow. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm pretty sure that's not the case, but there will definitely be more overhead in some of these organizations. And they, those are really low overhead. And the other, the other is DZI.org, um, which is another foundation that gives, uh, brings help directly to the people there in the villages and um, those who need it. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, having you organizing this, you feel you feel good that it's going to the right people. Because you, as you say, there are so many large organizations and you hear all those stories of, you know, how much money got went the wrong, in the wrong hands. And hopefully, those are just rumors, but that that worries you. And you want you want 100% to go to the right places and the right people. And uh, so that's, that's great. I will definitely put all the links on the show note and the link to where people can, um, can get the, the book and make their donation. It's a great book. And, uh, and I think it's just a, a wonderful effort that you, that you and, your, um, and your friends did. So where can people go and see more of your work as well as your podcast and the oldest well, running podcast? <laughs> 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 the, I, well, the podcast is kind of really the most important thing for me because yeah. um, that's what every everything I do in my life at this point somehow goes back to the podcast. Mm -hmm. So um, that is at tipsfromthetoplore.com. Yeah. 
And you're not on the top floor anymore. You moved from that, right? Well, yeah, we did move uh, actually into a nice house here outside of Hanover in Germany, which we call the Viewfinder Villa, Mm -hmm. which is going to host the workshops. And there's kind of a living and and working together in under one roof kind of thing going on here. Um, And I am on the ground floor as we speak, but I do have a studio on the top floor. I hope that counts. That counts. I love (laughs) Hanover. I spent as a as as a teenager. I I spoke German quite fluently. I spoke German better than English back then, and um, and I spent many summers and and even winter vacation in Hanover. I had some. uh, It was an exchange program originally with my with my middle school. Went into high school and even through my college years, I I made a lot of friends in Hanover. I did spend a lot of time in France, especially in the Bretagne. Oh, there you go. My brother lives there. I'm from Normandy. My, mm-hmm. Ah, wonderful. My, my, my French used to be much better, though, because I have pr- pretty much not used it in the last 20 years. Same here. I understand German really well, <laughs> but speaking is a disaster. <laughs> but uh, And I, I know that you've, always been, you've al- also already been to Minneapolis, and that's where I'm located now. I have yes, yeah. actually, actually, my my um, my release helper. I have I have a what I call a release pixie, Matt Armstead, who releases my show for me. So that's that's the only helper I have with the show to take some of the work off of my hands. Uh, he's from Minneapolis. Oh well, see, small world, isn't it? It is, yeah. Well, thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Um, I know a little bit more about uh, about you and Katmandu and the people there. Um, um, as I was telling somebody yesterday, this show is getting really expensive because my list of pr- places to go to is getting uh, longer and longer. <laughs> so thank you. And well, uh, thank you so much. I will put all the, the links and some of the images that you shared with, uh, with the Street Focus community on the show notes. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day, Chris. And we are at the end of another episode of Street Focus. Please head over to thisweekinphoto.com slash street to subscribe to the show. And if you enjoy it, please don't forget to share on social media and spread the love. My name is Valérie Jardin, and you've been listening to Street Focus. Now it's time to grab that camera and hit the streets. Street Focus.